Our topic this week from the book of Ezra, chapter 8, going to Jerusalem or going up to Jerusalem. And as this chapter takes us on Ezra's path from Babylon to Jerusalem, we'll see some parallels in our path out of the Babylon of this world to the heavenly New Jerusalem. Uh, and so as we follow his steps, we will make it safely to our destination. So a quick review. Under Cyrus, we were in Babylon from Nebuchadnezzar, and under Cyrus, we were allowed to go back after the 70 years, as promised in the book of Daniel, or rather in the book of Jeremiah, and to start rebuilding the temple. And we began that with Zerubbabel and Yeshua and Haggai and Zechariah, uh, and there was a pause because of opposition, and Darius makes a second decree that we can continue the building and we finish it under that. And again, with Haggai and Zechariah, really more on the, on the, end, the, 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 the end of it than the beginning of it. Then 57 years of blank, and those first, that whole first part of that is written and recorded in the book of Ezra, chapters 1 through 6, chapter 1 through 6. And then we pick up chapter 7 after the 57 years of gap between Darius and the finishing of the temple, and then Ezra's return. And that's where we picked up last week in chapter 7, and then continuing with the account here in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 1. These are the heads of the father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, the son of Phinehas. And then it goes through several verses of several, a whole list of different people and their, how many are going with them. And the account comes to a, a few thousand uh, men, and then no doubt women, and no doubt children as well. I gathered them by the river that flows to Ava, and we camped there for three days. I looked among the people and the Kohanim and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for leaders also for men of understanding, and I gave them a command, and I told them what they should say to Edu and his brethren, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. So they start on their journey. They decide to camp at this site along this river for three days to maybe make sure again it's not so easy with times and news and get get the message out there and so they gave three days for people to gather at that site we'll be there for this three-day period of time and so as long as you arrive within that three days then you'll be there when we take off that's the deadline and so they're they're gathered there for three, three days to again coordinate together and gather together and when they're doing that and counting and taking a census of who's there and who's coming with them and how many they have and what they have, they notice that there's no Levites there. And that's kind of strange. And uh, of all the people there in Shushan and the surrounding area to go back to Jerusalem under this wonderful decree that we read last week in chapter 7 of Artaxerxes promising financing and and uh, telling the treasurers to to provide for them and offerings for the temple of god only a few thousand are willing to come back to go to jerusalem only some came under the first decree with cyrus only some came with the second decree of darius over a hundred almost a hundred year period of time only A minority came out of Babylon. And it's still today. 
with the message going so far around the world, with so many Bibles all over the place, there's only very few who are willing to come away from this world. They got comfortable there in Persia. It became pretty good under Persia, except for the time with Haman under Esther. That short period of time there, things were pretty good. The Levites, they established synagogues, they had followings, they had no doubt family members and relatives who had jobs and homes and families in the community. They found it hard to break away from that. Well, they were doing God's service, right? And so none of them joined them. And again, few of the others. They became established. And it's so easy to become comfortable in this world. And we're seeing that. We've seen that over the last 70 years. The work of God has slowed in the gospel proclamation. I showed a chart one year here, one week here, on how believers in the Bible, the numbers have decreased percentage-wise of how much population there is, instead of increased, while Islam and other groups have just taken off. Where Bible believers were the second most, and at that time, percentage-wise, you could logically figure out how we could reach the world. And instead, we got comfortable, sat back, enjoying the pleasures of this world and the things of this world. And still today, we're sitting asleep and not heeding the call to come out of Babylon. But for those that did, like Ezra, and come forth, they gathered together. And then they noticed there were still some, none of the Levites were there. There were still some others that should come. And so they send for them. And we need to be inviting people to come with us out of Babylon. As we come out of the things of this world, as we still have connections with people who don't know God, God calls us to invite them to come on the journey with us. And sometimes they won't receive on the first invitation. Sometimes we have to send them a second invitation. Sometimes we have to send some leaders and some men of understanding to go back. And so the first time maybe Ezra invited them and they didn't come, and so now he's sending others. And so maybe you invited them, maybe you need to pray about someone else, sending someone else. Someone else you know to contact that family friend or a family or a member or friend or someone you know, or pray for God to send some other influence or maybe some other method. Maybe you tried speaking to them and maybe now try a book or, or a card or something in the mail or a track or a website or a link or an article to something or a movie, some way, shape or form. Try something else. Try a different method. And so Ezra tries another method. He tries, I'll send these people, I'll send them to Edu, and we'll make a, uh, an invitation to them that they should bring us servants for the house of our God, that others need to come with us. I don't know how many are going to make it into heaven alone, but I think it'll be few. God calls us to bring other people with us to invite others to walk with us, to invite other people to follow him, to receive his love and his glory and his goodness. That's a natural result of our coming to him. Our natural result of coming out of Babylon is our desire to bring other people with us.
Misery loves company. It's a worldly natural thing. Partygoers invite other people to join them at the party. Sports fans invite other people to go to the game with them. How much more so regarding the things that are eternal that we should naturally have a burden for and a desire for those who don't know the Lord. To pray for them, to intercede for them, and to seek ways and seek opportunities to share God's love with them in tangible ways, in actions, with words, with literature, in various means. Not everyone will come to a service, but you can invite them to something else. Maybe they won't come. Maybe you invited them to come to hear a sermon. They didn't want to come. But then maybe they'll come to a play, or they'll come to a holiday, or maybe they'll come to a concert. Try something else. We have a variety of things. Maybe they won't come to any of those, but maybe they'll watch online or read an article on shalomadventure.com. There's so many different ways to try and reach them. We need to try different methods, just like Ezra is doing here. Sending other people leaders as well as men of understanding to go and give them another invitation. We need to give the world another invitation to come out of Babylon and to come to Jerusalem with us. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us men of understanding of the sons of Malai, of the sons of Levi, of the son of Israel, uh, namely Sherebah of the sons of the brothers, 18 men, and Hashabah, 20 men, also of Neathan, whom David and the Levites had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Neathan. All of them were designated by name. And so it gives us this number, and comes up to about another 300 or so. Not massive numbers, plus women and children. But at least some more came. There'll be a remnant that goes through. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow and straight is the way that leads to heaven. And few there be that walk therein. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, we're not talking just the world. Many have professed believers. Yeshua said, many will say in that day, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not say, Lord, Lord? Did we not do this? Did we not do that? And he'll say, I never knew you. Don't wait for the masses to come out of Babylon. Don't follow the crowd. Follow the word of God. Follow the spirit of God. According to his leadings, according to his word. Down through the ages, down through history, it's, ever, it's only ever been the minority that followed truth. The masses even the saying animals two by two and, and by sevens coming into the ark. Miraculously, they still did not get in the ark. Still only eight people in the ark. Even with the ten plagues coming upon Egypt and a mixed multitude allowed to and some came with the Israelites, still the masses out of Egypt did not come out of Egypt. 
Even with Yeshua walking three and a half years on this earth and doing miracles, sharing food with thousands, healing people, large crowds following them for the bread and the loaves and the fishes. When it came down to truly following him, at his death even, then his disciples didn't even stand by him. Don't follow the crowd. Don't wait for the big movements. Oh, there'll be big movements, but they won't necessarily be the right big movements. Follow the word of God. And so here, some came, unfortunately, not the masses. Verse 21, I proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and our possessions. And so they're there at the river, again, gathered together from the various different parts where they were coming from, had this meeting place, they joined together, and the first thing before they actually do the journey, Ezra has them stop, pause, fast, and humble themselves before our God. And as we come out of Babylon, we need to humble ourselves. Not just praying for safety for the journey, but humbling ourselves, fasting, putting away the things of this world, letting go of the things of this world, forsaking the things of this world. It was a story, an analogy of people on the path towards heaven, a light shining before them up on the hill and they kept their eyes on the light and there was a light from Calvary behind them shining on the pathway. And initially the pathway was wide and people brought their relatives and friends with them and they were marching along and, and they had their, their stuff on carriages and horses-drawn carriages. And as they traveled along, the path got narrower and narrower and narrower up the hill. And so eventually they had to go single file and it continued to narrow. Eventually they had to decide to, to leave the cart behind and leave the stuff behind and just put stuff on the back of the horse or the back of the donkey and, and travel single file with the horse behind them. They got narrower and narrower they kept their eye on the light. Eventually they had to throw off the packs and eventually discard the, the animals as well, leave them behind. And walking sideways along the side of the mountain, but they knew it was the right path because of the light behind them and the light before them and because of the blood-stained trail that was left by the Lord, who had already walked that path before them. They continued on the journey. And our path to heaven will not be able to take any of the stuff with us. Right? There's, there's no hearse with a U-Haul behind it, right? We need to let go of the stuff here, become detached to the stuff here. I used to tell the kids that, you know, this is not our car, it's really God's car, and he just lets us use it. 
It's not our house. They say our house. It's not our house. It's not our house. It's really God's house. He just lets us live here. So we manage these things, praying, Lord, give us guidance in what to do regarding these possessions, being willing to let go of it at any time, according to God's direction, following his path, confession, confessing sins, forsaking the sins, letting go before God. That we start the journey, humbling ourselves and fasting, sacrificing, going without so that we can fill, be filled with God, emptying of self so we can be filled with his spirit. And that starts, the journey starts with confession, repentance, hearing God's call, receiving his love, desiring his love, choosing to set off on the path, and then pausing to humble ourselves, fast in prayer, with confession, repentance, turning our backs on the world. Not like Lot's wife coming out, but still holding on, still looking back. I don't look back. No looking back. Those on the path that looked back, those on the path that looked down, fell off the hill, fell off the trail. Keep your eye on the light. Walking the straight and narrow towards him. So they humbled themselves. They started their journey by fasting, humbling themselves, and praying for God to show them, seeking him for the right way for our little ones and our possessions. They're going on a four-month journey through difficult territory. And they're praying, God, show us the right way. They're not just trusting, we'll just put it in the GPS and we'll just follow whatever it says. They're not just going to follow everybody else the way. There's a path, there was a way, there was a caravan. But we want to know the right way. They might the, regular, the, the wide way, the, the typical way, the normal way, the so-called normal way, might not always be the best way. There'll be traps laid for us there. So show us the right way. And sometimes that right way, like when we came out of Egypt, is not the straightest path. Sometimes there's diversions to get us there. Trusting in the Lord. You might have a set path where you go to work every time, every day, and one morning, the Lord might impress you. Don't go that direction. <laughs> go a different direction for some reason. Maybe someone needs to see your bumper sticker going in the other direction. Maybe God's avoiding some, some accident. For some reason, he might impress you to go a different way. He impresses you to speak to somebody, to call somebody. Follow that impression. Pray for that person. It's got to put someone on your mind and heart. There's a reason. Pray for them. Maybe call them. Check on them. Hear the word of God. Lead me this day. You can have your plans laid out, but Lord, lead me this day. What would you have me to do today? Be open and receptive all day long. Be ready, instant, in season, out of season to share the word of God with those who need to hear it.
And so they prayed, Lord, show us, guide us how to take care and protect the possessions you put into our hands to use them wisely. Verse 22, for I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated for our God for this, and he answered our prayer. So they told the king, Ezra was boasting and selling God, uh, selling the, rather the king, selling Artaxerxes on how great his God is. We have to go to Jerusalem. He's got this great temple. We sacrifice to our God there. He grants us forgiveness. He grants us protection. He's the, he's the creator God. He's over all the gods. He's the heavenly God. And it's what helped convince Artaxerxes to let them go and to provide for this temple and to provide sacrifices there that, that the kingdom might be blessed, as he said in his, basically as he said in his, his command. And we don't receive the wrath of the king of heaven. And so how are you feeling? How can I now ask him for a human escort to protect us when we're asking to go because of this God who is so great, who's able to protect us? Not that it's wrong to have locks. We can trust God and still have locks. But really, in this world, all we can trust is God. And we're seeing that more and more now. We used to trust, trust in God, but you used to also trust our, our representatives in Congress, our state representatives to represent us and protect our rights. Well, we see that's no more. We trusted, well, if someone does wrong, even if uh, law enforcement does wrong, we have the court system. We can at least go to the courts. The Constitution says we have a right to bring our grievances. First Amendment. We see that's no more. We can't trust the courts to protect us. We used to put our trust in law enforcement. Our government, FBI, CIA, the DOJ, the local law enforcement. But we see that all these groups, they, they take an oath to obey the Constitution and protect the Constitution. But we see they're not always doing that. We can't put our trust in any human protection anymore here. We trust in the Lord. That's where our trust is. And that's where Ezra put his trust, chose to put his trust there. Again, not that it's wrong to have locks and lock your car doors and things like that, that's okay. We don't have to be presumptuous while we're still trusting the Lord, we do what we can. And even in Rome, Paul said, God has placed the officers there to protect us, the soldiers there on God's design, and God can still use them at times. But our ultimate trust is in the Lord. And as we come out of Babylon, we stop trusting first and foremost in the things of this world. And our trust is in God. It's not wrong to go to a doctor, but our trust is not in the doctor. It's not wrong to take medicines, but our trust is not in the medicine. God can use those things. God has amazingly used those things. 
But God gets the honor and glory. He gets our trust. That's the difference from being in Babylon and coming out of Babylon. In Babylon, we're putting our trust and getting comfortable in trusting in human solutions. And leaving Babylon, we're trusting in the Lord. That doesn't mean if they've got a hammer in Babylon, they didn't take it and use it. Or something they learned about building in Babylon that they didn't use the knowledge that they learned. But the trust is in the Lord. Not in the things of this world. All the things of this world will pass away. It'll all burn up with fervent heat. Put our trust in God. And so they fasted and entreated their God and he answered their prayer. They separated, I separated 12 of the leaders of the Kohanim and weighed out for them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offerings for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth of 1,000 drachmas, two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. So again, they're coming out of Babylon, but they didn't necessarily not take anything from Babylon. They took the silver, they took the gold, they took the stuff with them. But they, they had these as possessions. They weren't possessed by them. There's a difference. I think I heard uh, someone say, and no one owns a boat. A boat owns them. <laughs> and that could be. But, but still, we don't want things owning us. We don't want our car owning us. We don't want our house owning us. We don't want our spouse owning us. We don't want our children owning us. We don't want our boss owning us. We don't want our paycheck owning us. We don't want the, the paper money and the coin, metal coins owning us. We don't want the plastic money owning us. God uses it, allows us to manage it, but he places us in control of it, of these things. And they're still his. So to use them for his honor and glory and to surrender him them at his will. Not be tied down. When he calls us to come out of Babylon, there's that first walk out of Babylon, but there's little Babylons all along the way. We take Babylon with us, like, uh, was it Rebecca, who, who when she left her father's household, she took some of the gods with her and put it under, the, under her, on the camel, underneath the, her, it was a Rachel, underneath her, her seat. I have to let go of it all. And then they stopped at a tree, a tree of Shechem or somewhere, and they buried all the gold there. They buried all the idols there. They eventually forsook them. So as we come out of the world, might be a Babylon in you right now, one thing. She was said to the young man, one thing they're lacking. God will reveal something along the path that still holds us, that still has us. Something still from this world. And as, when he brings that to your mind, forsake it and follow the same principles. Hear God's call, obey God's call, 
Start with fasting, praying, confessing, humbling yourself, and praying for God to guide you and direct you day by day and give you victory in that area, to turn away from it and to move on in following the Lord. So they took account, they took account of all the stuff and he handed it to them. So again, he put it, he didn't just, you know, okay, well, God will and, you know, and just, there's a balance there too, trusting in the Lord, but also keeping an account, weighing it out, knowing how much they had, giving it to specific people, making a tally of who has what, assigning, giving assignments, right? So it's organized, they're organizing, he's organizing it there together weighing it out, counting it out, designating it, everyone having their role, knowing how much. And we also, as God puts possessions in our hands, we are managers of them. And we will be held accountable on how we use not only what we give in tithes and offerings, not only in what we return to God, but also what we do with, with the rest of it. And we've been good stewards of the rest of it. Dorothy reads us these stories about people being good stewards of not only their finances, but of their time and their talents and the stuff that God has placed in their possession. We need to be good stewards of it. Because God will call us to an account. He's going to want to know. He's going to say, I, lend, I, I, I weighed out for you and I put in your possession 20 basins of this and, 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 and I weighed out this many talents and this many drachmas. And what would you do with them? How did you use it? We held accountable for everything. 100% of it. Not just what we returned to the Lord, but the rest of it as well. How did you use that vehicle? How did you use that home? Did you take care of it? When Yeshua fed the 5,000, he didn't say, okay, well, everyone ate, and hey, it was miraculous anyway. Nothing, you know, didn't cost us anything. And, and then just go on. He made them go and collect what was left over. And not only collect what was left over, so that nothing would be wasted, he could go and pray again, couldn't he? In the next town. But he didn't even want that to be wasted. Even though it was miraculously, even though it came out of nowhere. And they had 12 baskets. They knew how many they had. They knew how much they had. And God calls us to be faithful as well. And it's good to keep an account. It's good to have a budget, a spending plan. You know, we don't have a spending plan in the end of the month. Well, I don't know where it went. It just kind of disappears. Easy in, easy out. God calls us to be accountable and to keep track and to plan wisely with what he has placed in our possession. He that is faithful in little will be faithful in more. Calls us to be faithful and to trust in him and to take note as we walk with him, as we trust in him. And sometimes as we do that, it helps to reveal the areas of Babylon. It helps to reveal the areas where we're in the world. Boy, I didn't realize I'm spending so much on that. Maybe that's become my God. Maybe that's not so necessary. Maybe it's not necessary at all. Helps reveal the heart. Keep track of the possessions he placed in our hands. When they were killing Yeshua, the soldiers gambled for his clothing. 
Obviously, he took good care of his clothing that it was worthwhile. It wasn't sweaty and dirty and stained. And they thought, oh, this bum is a homeless guy who wants his ripped up stuff. They thought it was valuable enough to compete over it, to gamble over it, to see who's going to get it. Had some value to it. The stuff God places in our hand, we should take care of it. Because it, again, none of it, none of it, none of it belongs to us. It's all God's. It's all on loan. And thus we should take good care of it for his honor and glory. Verse 28, I said, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. They're just silver and gold. It's holy also. And the silver and the gold are freewill offerings to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the Kohanim and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses in Israel and Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. The Kohanim and the Levites receive the silver and gold and the articles to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. We are holy. And all the stuff that God allows us to manage is holy also. We're sanctified, we're set apart for his holy use. And we will, as they got to Jerusalem, to turn it over, to bring it to the house of God. The end of our life, in the judgment, we will be held accountable. God will ask us, What'd you do with that time that I gave you? What'd you do with that talent I gave you? He who says he had none, didn't use it, it will be taken away from him. What'd you do with those abilities I gave you? What'd you do with that stuff I let you manage? How did you handle it? And who did you bring with you? Those are going to be some of the big questions in the judgment. Verse 31. We departed from the river Ahava on the 20th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemies and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. So four months they traveled, and miraculously they were protected. Small band of people, small group of people, relatively, with women and children and animals, not able to move very quickly, easy to ambush. Any group of robbers could have come out and plucked some of them off, and they had a lot of wealth with them. Silver and gold from the king, heavy items. God protected them all along the way. As we put our trust in him and guided by him, dedicate everything to him, dedicate our time to him, Start again with confession, acceptance of the Messiah's sacrifice in our behalf. Through humility, humbling ourselves before him. He will protect us on the journey as we travel to Jerusalem. And then they get there and they stay three days. Doesn't say what they did during those three days. Maybe they were just recouping and, and refreshing and getting some fresh water or whatever. But there's a symbolism there. They started three days. They end with three days. Yeshua rested in the grave three days. Esther prayed, fasted for three days. Interesting, this three symbolism here. And on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of 
Mermeroth of the son of Uriah, the Kohen, and with him was Ezra, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites and a whole list of people. Verse 34, and with the number of the weight of everything, all weight was written down at that time. So they delivered everything. There was an accountability for it all. And all of it was brought, and all of it was faithfully turned in, and it was written down. Again, God holds an account, takes note, and we should as well. And by God's grace, we pray that we use all the faithfully the free will offerings, the donations that come in, and none of it is wasted. It goes to God's honoring glory. Be used for the salvation of souls, for bringing people to heaven. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about crystal cathedrals. It's about bringing people to the Lord. It's about taking people out of Babylon and bringing them to the new Jerusalem. Verse 35, the children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river, so they gave support to the people and the house of God. The beginning of our journey, starting with fasting and praying, leaving Babylon, and in all the way along, and at the end of the journey, the Messiah is still central. At the end of their journey, they offered burnt offerings as a sin offering to the Lord. We offer him praise, we offer him thanksgiving, but continually humbling ourselves, surrendering to him, and having the stamp of the Messiah over us, the sacrifice of the Messiah over our lives. And so they end their journey, they get to Jerusalem, they don't just giving thank offerings for safety, thank offerings for coming out of Babylon, but also sin offerings. Have the cleansing complete. And as they enter in, and then to support the house, the people and the house of God, God calls us to labor as well, to use the talents and laboring for him and witnessing for him, bringing other people out of Babylon and then ministering in the people, with the people of God in the temple of God. And throughout eternity also, God will have jobs for us. We just won't be all learn how to play harp and sit on a cloud somewhere and play a harp. God will have activity for us to do for all eternity and part of his kingdom and thus also here and now as well. And so, as we prepare to pray in another minute, if there's some area of Babylon that God is calling you out of, maybe you've never left Babylon, maybe you're still in the world, maybe you're starting the journey, and you want to start with humbling yourself, confessing the sins, fasting from them, forsaking them, putting them off, putting them away, letting the Lord start the new journey in your life. And if that applies to you, if you've never accepted the Messiah, then in a moment when we pray, I invite you to do so. Secondly, if you've been on the journey, and you haven't invited other people to come with you, and pause, and send out some messages, 
Ask the Lord to go before you. Ask the Lord to give you his words and to tell others to come with you. Invite them to come with you on the journey. Third, maybe you've been on the journey and going along on the journey and God is revealing some area of Babylon that's still there. Maybe something he hadn't told you before, but now he's revealing it to you because you weren't ready before, but now you're ready to let go of it. He impresses your heart and mind. Follow him. Let go of the world. And turn your eyes on the Lord. Turn your face towards heaven. Forsake Sodom and Gomorrah. Forsake this world. And leave it behind. Third, if you haven't been keeping track of how you're using God's possessions that he's placed in your hands, God's impressing your mind and heart that you need to have a spending plan and, and, and take account of what comes in and what goes out, where it comes in from and where it goes out to. In a moment, ask God to give you the ability to do that, to seek help with that. God has placed things in your hands that you haven't been a good steward over and he's bringing that to your mind. Ask forgiveness. Accept his forgiveness through the blood of Messiah. And receive his Holy Spirit. Do better as we move forward. And if there's some sin on your life, some sin in your record still, some motive, some words, some activity, something that's still there. You need to offer a burnt offering, a sin offering before the Lord, confessing Yeshua, accepting Yeshua's sacrifice as that offering, receiving the forgiveness, receiving the cleansing, receiving the Holy Spirit for victory. If that applies to you, then as we pray, let God do his mighty work in you. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for faithful Ezra that didn't want to leave anyone behind. We're thankful, Lord, for the dedication in prayer and in commitment to you. We're thankful, Lord, for the faithfulness that uh, demonstrated in the accountability he, he did on this journey. Thankful for the godly example. We're thankful, Lord, for your sacrifice. We're thankful that you become the sin offering for us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the path and guiding us out of Babylon to heaven from this world and from this dark planet of sin to your glorious light. Guide and direct in our path this day and every day, showing us what to say, when to say it, what to do, where to do it. Guide and direct and make us faithful stewards of the possessions that you've asked us to manage for you. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.